Brothers and sisters, and welcome back to the Religion and Horror series. Today we are discussing The Sacrament, which was written and directed by Ty West. And my guest today is my mom, Sherry. Welcome back to the show, Mom. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, so, of course, I always like to ask my guests about their religious background. And it's going to be interesting to talk to you about it because... Like, your religious background is my religious background. You're the one that raised me in church. If it wasn't for you, I probably would not even be having this this whole discussion and series. So, um, of course, I know your whole story. But uh, share with the audience, what is your religious background? Okay. Um, my dad is, well, was until he passed away recently, an Assembly of God preacher. So I was raised in an Assembly of God church. For those of you who don't know, it's, I would call it sort of extreme religion, you know, we didn't, um, I didn't have a TV, I don't know, forever. Uh, we wore dresses mainly, and we, we were allowed makeup, but just real pretty strict fundamental religion, as long as I can remember, you know, I was, I was raised that way my, my whole life. So, yeah, just interesting. Yeah, I tell people that you were a redheaded preacher's daughter, and so when you were a teenager, naturally you were pretty rebellious, and so yes. when you brought my long-haired motorcycle-riding dad <laughs> along, that doesn't go over too well. No, no, no. No, my dad did not care for Mike at all. Yeah. So he was quite the rebel. Yeah. But you guys have been married for 40-something years. years. Yeah. So it all worked out. It worked out. Yeah. Uh, Mike kind of, it took about eight years, but he kind of decided maybe that wild, crazy lifestyle, he needed to tone it down. So we did. And he actually ended up, you know, going to church and kind of turning his life around. So it was, it was good. Yeah, well, and from what I understand, you, uh, your life was a little was kind of chaos. But Dad found religion when I was very small, and so uh, yes. I don't re I don't really remember a lot of that. You were three, I believe. Yeah, and so um, even though Dad was wild when you met him, and you guys had your whole rebellious streak, by the time I was old enough to remember anything, it was all church all the time. Yes, <laughs> yes, and then we we raised you, Nicole, pretty pretty much the way I was relate was raised, but much more lenient though we yes. not near as strict we wore pants had tvs went to the movies you know dancing all that if we wanted to that was all allowed so yeah we i didn't go quite the strict strict route that my parents raised me i did not raise you 
that way. Yes, definitely still uh, very committed. I took you guys took your faith very seriously yes. and taught me to do so, but a lot less rules. A lot less rules. Yes. Still, the faith and the was all still there though. Yes, yeah. So we had a lot of fun. Although I mean, I remember I remember certain things growing up. Like oddly enough, I remember at one at one point, probably when I was like a preteen, Dad was like, "No R-rated movies," um, except. You were still letting me rent like Friday the 13th part five when I was like 10, you know, and I just, I don't think he realized that, but no, no, because I've always liked horror and now pass it on to you. Yeah. I guess that was kind of the exception because we never, we never quit watching horror movies, no. even though it was like no R-rated movies. Maybe that was more of a like no R-rated movies for family time, but then you and I would still have our scary movie nights and we, watch whatever. We definitely <laughs> did. And so when it, as a family or when the youth group was over, because we were youth group leaders for many, many years, yeah. pastors, whatever. So we had youth at our house every weekend, fun, fun. But so we got the TV Guardian. Remember the TV oh Guardian? Oh gosh, Yes. So tell them what. Which, yeah, the TV Guardian, if you guys don't know, it was a device you would put on your TV and it would um, censor any cuss words. Um, Which was. Substituted words. Yes, which was like kind of. For me, it was a godsend because we could watch things that before you guys wouldn't really let me watch. But the most hilarious thing is like it was very strict and like it wouldn't even allow the word sex to be used. And it (laughs) substituted the word sex with hugs. I forgot about that. It did. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So that was very and a very interesting time. A very interesting time. But um Another thing I find interesting, though, that you shared with me about your childhood is that, um, so like you said, you didn't have a TV, but you were allowed to go trick-or-treating. And if I remember correctly, like they had a Halloween carnival at the church, not a fall festival, like a Halloween party. Halloween party, carnival. Yes. Um, Everybody dressed up. Witches, ghosts. I mean, there was no, it didn't matter. There was no limit. There was no, you can't wear this. Everybody dressed up. And I mean, we decorated our little fellowship hall in the church, like with ghosts, witches, you know, the little cutout, cardboard cutouts, um, no holds barred. I mean, Halloween was fine. My dad was yeah. fine. Let's y'all go trick-or-treating. Didn't, it was all good. Yeah. So I still have a problem today with people saying they can't have a Halloween party or a Halloween carnival. It's a fall fest or fall palooza or whatever. No, it's Halloween. And we celebrate <laughs> Halloween. We're not worshiping the devil. That's a whole different discussion. But Halloween is fine. And we celebrated Halloween. My mom loved Halloween. She liked scary stuff, too. I guess she I kind of yeah. got that from her and passed on to Nicole. But yeah. um, we we partied at Halloween. It was a fun, fun time. <laughs> yeah. So, see, you guys, you guys see, I come by it. I come by it, honestly. And I guess I think so that would have been in like the 70s. Part, partly 60s, but really your childhood you really remember is the 70s. Yes. And yeah. I think uh, probably the reason why I think that was all okay is because that was pre-satanic panic and also uh, before you had news stories about, like, kids getting their candy poisoned. Yes, yeah. before all that. I think those two things really hit Halloween hard in the <laughs> uh, so. in the church world. So, I um, think so. But that just delights me to no end. And I remember even when I was a kid, there was a little country church that we, we attended for a while and then ended up going somewhere else, but we would still go there because our family was there. That's how every, like, country church where our family lives, we, yeah. like, we we know, still know everybody at all these churches. And go back if you want to yeah. and do things with them. And I even remember when I was a kid in the 80s, we were doing hay rides and still, yeah, Halloween carnivals and hay rides mm-hmm. and all that. So, 
So all of that, all those things are, are really, really great memories. Yes. And the hay rides, like, um, so several of us, you know, the ones who weren't on the hay ride, we had people who dressed up mm-hmm. and jumped out and scared you. And we had some scary costumes. There was, you know, several of the older kids and young adults, you know, dressed up and did the scary things. So yes, we celebrated Halloween and I, I still love Halloween. Clearly, as we all do. And it's right around the corner. There are some hardcore people that are already saying it's spooky season. I have to wait until September personally, but like it is just right around the corner. It's close. (laughs) It's close. (laughs) So um, let's dive into this movie a little bit. We chose this film for lots of reasons, but the reason why I wanted mom on for this episode is because she loves true crime. Yes. It is all into true crime. And I, I enjoy it as well, but mom is, she knows even more than me. So that's the main reason why I wanted to talk to her about, to her about this movie, because clearly it's, it's based on Jonestown and that is possibly the most famous. That's the biggie. Jim Jones is like the biggie. And so I saw this movie when it came out a long time ago and really thought it was really well done. Um, and had you, you had seen it before the rewatch, right? I'd seen it. Yeah. Probably f- four years ago. And then I rewatched it just last week. Yeah. So there are going to be spoilers ahead from this point on. So uh, if you don't want to have anything spoiled, although if you know the story of Jonestown, it's everything is spoiled, but anyway, uh, spoilers are ahead. So if you haven't seen it, Maybe pause it here, check it out, and then rejoin us. You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we've talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people are my family, my children. And when you write this up, just know that you're dealing with their lives. Aren't those the guides? What are they doing with guns? You don't know what's really going on here. This place is not what it seems. What's happening? These people want to leave. They have their suitcases packed. I have no idea what to do. Sam, do not get involved in this. Please take my daughter. What? We can't let them go back to New York. No. This is the last sacrament. Hey! Hey! How many more people can fit in this thing? I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. Patrick, a fashion photographer, receives a letter from his sister, a recovering drug addict named Caroline and invites him to visit Eden Parish, a utopian, drug-free community founded by a religious leader. 
When Patrick investigates, he discovers that they have moved to a secluded compound only accessible by helicopter, located in what Sam calls a remote part of the world. Intrigued by the mystery, Patrick's co-workers, reporter Sam and cameraman Jake, suggest a feature documentary on the topic. Issues first arise when they meet the guides at the airfield. Expecting only Patrick, the guides are taken aback by a film crew. They contact Father, the leader who authorizes their entrance. At the commune itself, armed guards delay the entry of the film crew. Feeling uneasy, Jake and Sam begin to regret the trip, but Patrick is able to smooth things over when his sister appears. Caroline enthusiastically welcomes them and apologizes for the misunderstanding. Caroline leaves with Patrick, and Jake and Sam are given their own cabin. After settling in, the two attempt to find members to interview. Several of the people open up to them and tell stories of how Father has saved them and given them newfound hope. The commune's nurse, Wendy, reveals that the commune has a well-stocked medical center funded by donations from the members who sold off all their possessions. Privately, the filmmakers express their skepticism but admit that the members seem happy and have accomplished much. Caroline arranges an interview with Father and Sam prepares a list of questions. However, Father will only agree to do the interview during a public meeting. Father greets them warmly and at first answers the questions openly. However, his answers become more evasive and vaguely threatening. Near the end of the interview, Father raises the subject of Sam's pregnant wife, which Sam had mentioned earlier to Wendy. Put off guard, Sam fumbles and loses control of the interview, and Father politely but dominantly cuts it short with roaring applause from his followers who proceed to engage in a party. During the party, Savannah, a young mute girl, passes a note requesting help to Sam. When Sam and Jake attempt to locate Patrick, they find that he has been taken aside for a threesome, and an inebriated-seeming Caroline explains that they need Patrick's money. When the filmmakers search further, they discover a descendant group that wishes to leave, alleging abuse and brainwashing. Growing increasingly distrustful of Father and the Commune, Jake and Sam anxiously wait out the night, unable to sleep. In the morning, they find that the dissenters have become outright rebellious. Sarah, Savannah's mother, insists that they at least rescue her daughter, and Jake returns to the helicopter to delay its takeoff. The pilot flatly refuses to help, but gunshots cut the conversation short. Jake flees into the forest and circles back to the helicopter. The injured pilot tells him to get the others. At the camp, Sam attempts to break up a fight, and a guard attacks him. Caroline angrily denounces him, and he is taken hostage. Father convenes the commune and forces everyone to take cyanide-laced drinks. Anyone who refuses is shot dead. Patrick, held hostage nearby, is killed when Caroline injects him with a syringe. Jake returns to the camp, finding almost everyone dead except for armed guards. Jake finds Caroline, who says she has nothing left, and she self-immolates. When Jake finally confronts Father himself, he finds Sam bound to a chair. Father places blame on Jake and Sam for what happened to his community, despite, Jake, despite Jake's argument that Father has misled the people and is to blame for their deaths. Father pulls out a gun and commits suicide. As Jake and Sam leave, they are almost shot by one of the two remaining guards, but are saved by the last armed guard who shoots the other one. 
the two filmmakers flee back to the helicopter and use it to escape. The scene cuts to black and states that 167 people died during the massacre of Eden Parish. The only survivors were Sam Turner and Jake Williams with their filmed documentary being the only firsthand account of the events that took place at Eden Parish. So there really is no way to talk about this movie without first talking about Jonestown because they are just so closely linked. So yes. this episode is going to be a little different because I feel like we're going to have as much real life discussion as we have movie discussion. So first of all, I wanted to know what the official definition of cult is because that word gets thrown around a lot um, in pop culture. And of course, we, we saw so many cults kind of from the 70s through, well, probably more of the late 60s through the 90s. So the official definition of a cult is a small religious group that is not part of a larger and more accepted religion and that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. Um, another definition I found says a relatively small group that excessively controls its members who share a set of acts and practices which require unwavering devotion and are considered deviant outside the norms of society and typically led by a charismatic and often self-appointed leader. So that sounds like Jonestown. You have one more definition. Oh, okay. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Strange or sinister. Strange or sinister. And I think there are two keys here. One key is that you're not allowed to leave the group. (laughs) I think that is, that's a big red flag that it's a cult. Um, And two is this like self-appointed leader that you must be devoted to. Um, I think if you don't have those two things, really what you have is just a people people with kind of a fringe set of beliefs. Yeah. But if you can't leave and you've got this sort of obsessive leader that requires devotion, I think those are the two really differentiating factors that and make the, your cult. Yes. And the third would be they really try to isolate you from friends and family. Yeah. Um, that's You see that in all the cults. Because again, maybe you won't even try to leave if you're not connected with the outside. Because uh, I think when you get to the tipping point of where you have to, where they have to make that statement that you can't leave, like that's sort of the point of no return, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, I'm going to give just a brief as possible history of Jonestown. Okay. Uh, feel free to like chime in here at any point. Okay. Um, because you were in fact, alive when Jonestown was happening, and I was not. So Yes. Um, so The year before I graduated high school. Yeah. 78, right? Uh, I think it was 79. Was it 78? 78. 78. 78. Okay. So the the actual name of the church, it's, it's become known as Jonestown, but that's not what they called themselves. Uh, so it's the People's Temple, mm-hmm. and the People's Temple was established by Jim Jones in 1955 in Indiana. Yes. It started as your typical Christian revival movement, but it evolved into a hardcore socialist group, per Jones' beliefs. So Jim Jones was pretty outspoken, and the group sort of eventually faced opposition everywhere they went. They eventually were sort of pushed out of Indiana and ended up in California and headquartered in San Francisco, where Jim Jones became involved in politics. But first they were in like Utica, California. Then they yes. went to San Francisco. And then they ended up in San Francisco. They, they just sort of kept getting pushed out. And mm-hmm. San Francisco seems kind of the perfect place for yes. Jim Jones because it was like the hippie commune mm-hmm. paradise. Anything goes. Yes. So I think he drew a lot of people um, from that sort of 
culture because he was very outspoken about racial equality and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and he sort of catered to the people on the fringe of society. Yes. So I think did. San Francisco, yes, was the perfect place for him. So Jones eventually realized, though, that his ideas and practices were not going to fit in with the typical modern world anywhere. Um, And so he decided to move his followers to Guyana, Africa. And many of them sold all their possessions to fund the building of a new community where they could live simply and worship as they pleased. Um, Which sounds kind of lovely. These people are like, you know what? We want to opt out. We just want to go live together and build this community together that sounds very peaceful <laughs> but you know the main reason he went to i've always called it guyana but mm-hmm. you know the main reason he went there well he was in trouble with the law they were looking at him for human trafficking mm-hmm. and for taking people's money basically stealing the money so he was being investigated so i think the main reason he took them over there was to avoid being well, prosecuted or, you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure that was a factor. And uh, apparently also Guyana was a communist. Yes. So, so he knew that they would, the government would probably be friendly to his setup. No rules. Nobody looking at him to see what he's yes. doing. So, Free reign. So Jones saw Jonestown as both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from media scrutiny. Um, he controlled what the people watched and listened to. He read the news to them every day and emphasized the communist and socialist principles he aspired to. So you couldn't just like watch anything you wanted or listen to anything you wanted. Like only certain things were approved. And so you could only get the information that he wanted you to have. And I know uh, I've heard on different documentaries that people said that they just got so tired of hearing his voice on the loudspeaker every day because like he was just sometimes it was just nonstop him going on his like tirades over the the loudspeaker which reminds me of the same thing with warren jeff's flds which Mm -hmm. we'll get into that later same thing same thing yeah so also a big problem was they struggled to thrive in the environment and they did not have abundance as far as food or medicine was concerned so it was widespread kind of sickness and viruses um because he had told them we're going to move down there, you know, we're going to be able to grow our own crops. It's going to be just, a, again, a, a paradise. paradise, right? And then the reality of the situation when they got down there, it was very hard work for very little return. Yes. And people, again, they had given up everything they owned to come down here because they believed in it. And so it seems like some people were willing to like stick it out and do the hard work and other people really felt like they had been kind of ripped off. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of deceived, I guess. Yes. And... Apparently, there was punishment for those with disciplinary problems. Yes, there absolutely was. Yeah, I I read a lot of different things. People were isolated, basically, in like a solitary confinement situation, like... Public beatings. Yeah. So people were... They were discouraged from... (laughs) Heavily discouraged from doing anything that was separate from what Jones thought was the right way to live yes. in this situation. His ideas and yes. things he thought. So uh, Congressman Leo Ryan, along with a few others, visited Jonestown to investigate and to see if anybody in the People's Temple wanted to leave because he'd been contacted by concerned family members who had said, I haven't heard from my loved one and I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure how they're doing and I'm not sure they're allowed to leave. I think they might be basically held hostage in this situation, which yeah. that happens in a lot of 
cult situations. He had to investigate. Yes. Um, So initially it seemed fine. He got a warm reception. They were invited to this party in the evening. Um, Lots of food and dancing, you know, with the music and everything seemed really good. Yeah, everything seemed fine. And the congressman was like, okay, so like, There were some concerned family members that make sense, but like things down here, really, they seem okay. Yeah. But. (laughs) Things change. Yes. Jim Jones had become increasingly paranoid just over the course of his life, but certainly once they got to Jonestown. And he was convinced that the government's presence in the form of Congressman Ryan was this herald of destruction. He decided that. Because the government had showed up that they were going to continue to investigate him. They're not going to leave us alone. They're not going to let us stay here. They're not going to let us live our life. And so he decided that they needed to die in an act of what he called revolutionary suicide to avoid being persecuted or even killed by the authorities. He told people and the imperialists are going to show up and kill your children. Yeah. Yes. It's really unfortunate because he's totally wrong. If he he would have just um, let things unfold... Congressman Leo would have left, and there was a few people who wanted to go. He could have just let those people go. Yeah, because and as we know, there were like about a thousand people living there, and I think maybe a dozen or something wanted, wanted to yeah. leave. So it wasn't even a, a large percentage. So he could have just let them percentage. go and continued on. But his his paranoia, then the whole thing played out the, the suicide yeah. and all that. He was he was um he was not mentally well, and it this also not. reminds me a lot of David Koresh. Yes, because now they're clearly the threat was different. <laughs> The government actually showed up with, like, military force at Waco. But that was always, David Crush said, the government's going to show up and try to kill you and your children, you know? <laughs> yeah, he told his followers um, that for years. Exactly. And so when, and things, happened. when things unfolded the way they did, you know, he wasn't going to back down because it was like he had this idea in his head that they're trying to get us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so on November 18th, 1978, you're right. Jones led the entire population in a mass suicide. Members either drank or were injected with Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. Some people did it in devotion. Some did it against their will. But a total of 918 people died, including 200 children. And um, let's see, 909 people died in Jonestown. But there were a few other people that lived in Georgetown, which was near Jonestown. They weren't on the compound at the time, but they got word and they killed themselves where where they were. I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. I knew that, but I'd forgotten about it. And then if you add the ones that were killed at the helicopter. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Let's see here. I don't have the exact stat, but yes, the people, including the congressman, there was like, how many people did he bring? Were there like 10 of them? Like maybe eight or 10 of them? I think there was that many. Five maybe? Maybe five or six. And but his like secretary was with yes. him. She survived, but it was not good. Yeah, they were basically, I think they were all shot multiple times. Yes. Some of them yeah. survived. The congressman did not survive. No. no. Um, so it just went from like <laughs> being okay to not being okay real fast. Um, so as I said, you were around when this happened. So did you have a TV at this point? Like, do you remember seeing this on the news? Do you remember knowing about this when it um, happened? So in, we, we finally got a TV. I think it was 77. <laughs> so my sister is four years older than me. So when she got married, things changed. Um, my mom kind of put her foot down and said, you know, let's get the TV. Sherry, you know, and 
my brothers were going next door to my aunts to watch TV and watch shows. And then, of course, my sister got married. They had a TV. So my mom's like, let's just get the TV and um, Sherry's going to wear pants. We're going to put, put jeans on her. It's all good. And she kind of put her foot down to my dad. And he, I was surprisingly, he said, okay, but. Yay, Granny. Um, yeah, she, she was a, a, a strong woman. You know, at some point she's like, we're going to do what I want to do. So anyway, um, I rem- I don't remember it. Okay, I came home from school. And like I said, my mom loved true crime, you know, and I wasn't even into it at that point. But uh, I remember her talking about it, mm-hmm. about this this, okay. this mass suicide, you know, religious cult over in Africa. And I remember watching a little bit about it on TV. But like I said, at that point, I wasn't into true crime. So I remember thinking, wow, and I was intrigued, but it didn't have an impact on me like true crime afterwards, mm-hmm. like when I really got into true crime like the Ronald Gene Simmons and Russellville. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. Wow. Uh, in 87. But um, my mom talked about it quite a bit. And I remember seeing a little bit of it on TV. Okay. Yeah. Because honestly, that helicopter shot where you see all those bodies laying on the ground. I mean, that to me is one of the most impactful things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like in the news ever. I can't imagine what people must have thought at the time. Yeah, and if you if you watch the interview with his, uh, I believe it was his secretary. You know, she she was shot multiple times, and she laid there and laid there and laid there because it took a long hours for mm-hmm. someone to come and help them. I'm sure. Yeah, it and, was hard to get. Very difficult to get there. Yeah, and after she was shot, she said that she just laid there because she's afraid they were going to shoot her more. So she just essentially played dead and survived. But you know, she was she was hurt pretty bad, but she's she survived. But yeah, just horrific. I mean, if they would just have let him go, just, mm-hmm. you know, go. But no, um, Jim sent his henchman in and started shooting and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So let's let's get into the actual film discussion of the sacrament. Um, and I think a good transition here would be the sacrament is very close to the actual events of Jonestown. But what are some of the differences that you noticed between the movie and the actual events? First of all, let's look at Jim Jones, the, mm-hmm. the man who played Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. While I think he did a really good job, you know, playing Jim Jones, he looked nothing like him. No, not really. The real Jim Jones was, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking taller, thinner, had the real dark hair, dark mm-hmm. glasses. Um, he was more of a authoritative figure. Um, he was very handsome when yes, he was younger, He was at a least. nice looking man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, more charisma. I don't know. I just feel like they they kind of missed it there. But the man who played Jim Jim the Sacrament did a good job. Yeah. He did a good yeah, job. Yeah, physically, he's more of like a grandfatherly yes, figure. Yes, Um, But I've seen that guy has been in a lot of things. He's kind of a character actor and he's he always nails it. And so even though he didn't really look like Jim Jones, I was excited when I heard he was cast. And I do think he did a very good I, job. I agree. He did a good job. And all of uh, the speeches and everything was good. Spot on. Very creepy. Um, Oh, which, by the way, this is a little bit of rap trail. But um, another thing that's very creepy about Jonestown, in addition to just the footage of the bodies, there is a death tape. It's called the death tape. And they recorded Jim Jones. He read them record a lot. There are tons of Jonestown tapes. But whenever he's given them the speech about taking the poison and laying down your life, that's recorded. I've listened to some of that. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not going to post it here. Um, you guys are welcome to seek it out. Uh, I don't really feel comfortable putting it out into the world here, but it's, it is very, it's very impactful. It's very eerie. Um, so yeah, so he, 
he nailed that aspect of it. We can't go back. There's nowhere to go back to. So our time is up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's just stepping over to the other side. That's all it is. Let's show the world that the only peace left for us is in death. Um, what else? Any, anything else? Well, in the movie, they make Jonestown look like it's in really good, good shape. You know, the mm -hmm. cabins look clean and it seems like they have plenty, you know, mm -hmm. food. In reality, they didn't have enough. You know, their accommodations were not near as nice as portrayed in the sacrament. There wasn't enough food and all that stuff was different. I don't know. I thought the movie was done really well and it was kind of close, close. Yeah. It seems like most of the stuff they changed were thing were just things they kind of needed to change to make the story make sense for a modern audience. Like they did change some names and I'm sure that's a legal thing. Uh, the name of father, which they called him father. And at the time I thought that was kind of strange because I didn't know that people referred to Jim Jones as father. Like I didn't know that was a common thing, um, but apparently it was. Okay. Um, but his his name, though, and I'm not even sure why they gave him a name, but when they're interviewing him, he says his name is Charles Anderson Reed. Yes. Um, and I'm like, why that name? Like, that's not even close. So I'm like, maybe they did that just to avoid lawsuits. They're like, this is definitely a different person with a different name. Um, and then they also called it, uh, the settlement's called Eden Parish. Yeah. Instead of the People's Temple. Whatever or... at Jonestown. Yeah, it was, it had a different it had a different name. I should have written it down. But either way, I thought Eden Parish was a really great name, though. It's a good name. Yeah, it's it's very appropriate. Um, of course, we have a film crew coming in instead of a diplomat. And the whole reason we've got that is because now we have a found footage movie, you know. Yeah. And that's what we need. Uh, we need to see it yeah. somehow. And so yeah. I thought it was actually smart to do it as a found footage movie. Well, one, because uh, you can do it more on a low budget. But it also helps make sense as to like, even when things are crazy, like wow, they're, why they are filming it, because they are documentary filmmakers. They've been in extreme situations before and they are there to like document the story, get the story. So it really does make sense that it's a great plot device that they would be interviewing people, that even when it gets crazy, they keep rolling, you yeah, know. It doesn't really phase them. No. Um, it's crazier than anything they've ever experienced, but it still would make sense that they understand if we survive this, people need to see it. If we survive this. Yeah. And as the movie unfolds, you're thinking, well, are they going to survive yeah. this? Well, and I mean, I guess uh, watching it this time, I was like, that is kind of a signal that they are going to survive because since it is a found footage movie, how would we be seeing this if they, if they never got out? And there yeah. are also like, uh, there are like captions and stuff on it. So it's like somebody took this footage and cut this together sort of in documentary style. So that always signaled to me that like, well, they're going to survive because this footage has to get out somehow. Yeah. But um, another thing I thought was interesting though, is usually I feel like when a true story gets turned into a movie, if anything, it gets embellished. But in this case, everything was a smaller scale. Only 186 people died in this movie. True, where it was actually over 900. Yeah, so I thought that was a little bit of an interesting change. And again, I think that it was probably more of a budget thing than anything is, you know, it would be more difficult to film this with a thousand people That's true. at this compound. That makes sense. Than just a little group. That makes sense. Um, and I kind of liked the sort of homey feel of just the small group, um, especially when they're all in the like pavilion having their, their services and like their little party. Like uh -huh. that felt very kind of genuine to me. Um, and I think a bigger 
a bigger group would have just made it harder to get that little quaint sort of calm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So my my biggest talking point, as always, is what religious or religious themes are present in this film? It's quite obvious. (laughs) Cults. Yes. You know, cults, cults and communes. Also, the brainwashing and the control. I mean, those things go hand in hand. Um, We've got the manipulation by father in the interview. That's like typical textbook Mm -hmm. cult leader stuff, you know. Um, Like Sam is trying to ask him very direct questions and he's like dodging the bullet and like trying to put trying to put the criticism back on him and doing it well and doing it very well, you know, and his people are just like eating it up. Oh yeah, like he's like he's on a stage performing. Yes. Um and you know Sam says that he's that's the weirdest interview I've ever done. Like he's like I don't even know what I did there. Yeah. And <laughs> like yeah, he even me. <laughs> yes, even he admits that like the manipulation was sort of working on him. It caught him off guard, you know, and he wasn't sure exactly how to like approach it. And when he asked about his wife being pregnant, yeah, that was a li- that was a little. Um, He's like, "How does he know that? How yeah, does, how does Jim Jones know that?" That was interesting because I assume, I mean, father knows everything, so somebody told him that yeah. ahead of time. But it threw Sam off guard. Yes, he threw it in there. I think to be like, "I know things about you." Yes, and like maybe I am a supernatural conduit mm-hmm. because I know this about you, and you didn't tell me. Yeah, and of course, it's a very sensitive, personal thing. So that yeah. that definitely rattled him. Another thing I thought was kind of cool about this, again, the the church service and the party that they had, um, that felt very much like a Southern Pentecostal. It did. Right down to the music, the gospel music. It did. The clapping of the hands, the uh, hitting the tambourine on the knee, raising your hands. Yep. Like that's how that's the church we were raised in. We did yep. all those things. Very um, simple band. Little, you know, if you want to dance around just a little bit, that's good. You know, it, <laughs> it was, it could have been an assembly of God meeting outside meeting. Yeah, totally. Definitely. That, that really struck me. I was like, well, that music sounds familiar, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, very upbeat and inviting. Yeah. If you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, even uh, Jake, the cameraman, he's like, the music was good. And I hate church music. He did say that. <laughs> he did say that. They kind of, was reeling him in too a little bit. Yeah. Well, because so the interview with father was weird, but then they were both, I think, disarmed by this, by the party and the service because they had already, all the people they talked to were really friendly and kind. And then the party was cool and they were welcomed. So the only thing like sort of weird was the interview with father. Yeah. And they were able to just sort of, I think, want to overlook that. Um, I mean, from the very beginning, they're skeptical, but also trying to be like, well, it seems like these people are happy. And like, I wouldn't want to like a Jake. I think it is. He said, I don't want to live like this, but I can see the appeal. You know, yeah, it's working for them. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, when they first uh, come, they first get there and they see the the guards with the guns. Now that that had to have been a red flag for them. Oh, yeah. Things seem very... Things seem to be going south fast. But then Sis- Caroline, sister yeah, along. she comes out, it's fine. And she's like, oh, well, you know, down here, everything needs a level of security. And so you're, you know, I can see how that would be good enough of an explanation. You've come halfway across the world to this really remote place. 
And, you know, if she's like, oh, it's just it's just security. They're not going to just let anybody in here like that. That makes a little more sense. But also the taking of the passports like, no, thank you. You're not going to take my passport uh-uh. like because then you can't leave. Yeah. And Sam was like, I'm not giving them my passport. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen. So talking about that, then this will be a good a good time to talk about what are um, for you? What were some of the scariest or most memorable moments in the movie? Well, when the reporters first get there and they're walking through Jonestown and you see all those big vats sitting on that shelf. There's like, I don't know how many, a dozen. Yep. I was like, oh my goodness. Yep. You know what's in those vats or what's what will be in those vats before yep. it's over. I have the exact same note. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the first thing. Yeah, yeah. that really, yeah, hit me. Um, and then I guess secondly is whenever, you know, things are unraveling and Caroline has her brother Patrick tied to the chair and yeah. then she injects him in the neck. Oh, and that actor, he did a great job in that scene because he's just like, what did you just put in me? What did you just put in me? Like he's so, oh, he's so scared. He's yeah. so scared. And that's like, that's her brother. You know, and you think like she did not bring him there just because she wants to see him. You know, she has this whole other motive. Yeah. And you think, I mean, she's really going to kill her brother. You know, that was just like, no. Yeah. That part <laughs> so was really sad. what about for you? Um, so first of all, I think just the overall sense of dread really stuck with me. Um, because it does keep building. It does. And, and it is like, you have these moments where like something's wrong and then, oh, everybody seems happy and then oh something's wrong. So you do have just, there's always is an ominous kind of, you know, tone happening. Um, and I also wrote down the, the, the big vats. Like that was, that's definitely now, if you, if you don't know the story, you wouldn't think about that. But if you're familiar with Jonestown and you see that you're like, oh gosh, so after the service, when um, Jake and Sam are kind of discussing it and the little girl comes up and gives him the note and it just says, help us. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. It's coming. Everything's going to come out. In the yeah. Because they're discussing how everything seems OK. And then you get that note and it's like, oh, oh, no. Mm. Oh, no. Um, and then, of course, the death speech moment is probably the the hardest hitting moment, um, including because it includes people who are like begging for their lives. And there's the one um, young guy who was playing basketball earlier and he speaks up and he's like, I don't really know why we have to die. Like, yeah. and, and he's basically dismissed and they talk him into taking it. Like, that's just, yeah. oh, it's, oh, it's very, it's very heavy. It's very heavy. Very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But also really well done. I mean, the whole thing. That takes up quite a bit of film time, um, but it doesn't linger on it too long, you know, and you've you've spent the time with these characters and everything that you really understand what's happening. What was really interesting to me, too, was that the um, the woman who was the nurse who was like running the medical center. Yes. She seemed very level headed and she very did. rational, but like she was the main one. She was doling it out and she took it at one point, too. And I think she she had a I think she wrote a note that said like forgive me or something she but did. like she did yeah but that was like that was very sad to me um because she seemed very kind but she was just really devoted to the cause and she was a nurse I, I'm assuming mm-hmm. so she's supposed to help people not kill people well you know there's another documentary called the women of Jonestown and there was like five women who was real um instrumental in getting all these people to take you know to take the mm-hmm. cyanide or whatever um they were like his right hand women Mm -hmm. and they did like 
if you, you watch the documentary, they did a lot of his bidding for him. Uh, but it was five women. So just a side note there. Yeah, and well, I'm sure he had he had to have many people who were close to him, who were influential in the community, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And then also, not everybody died from cyanide poisoning. There were gunshots. Yes. Some, so, you know, his, his I call him the henchman that was walking around with the guns to make sure you took the cyanide. I guess some that chose not to and tried to run, they just shot them. Yeah. And we don't know all the details for sure, but some had gunshot wounds. Yeah. And that's the real tragic thing, too. I mean, it's bad enough if somebody does it voluntarily because they've been manipulated. Mm-hmm. But people who at the moment were like, no, thank you. And they were either, yeah, involuntarily injected or they were shot. I mean, that's just that's another layer of tragedy. You well, know? it is. And, you know, Jim Jones tells them when they first start taking the, you know, the Kool-Aid, he tells them it doesn't taste bad. There's no pain. You're just going to take this and go lay down. And, and so at first true. everybody believes yeah. that. But then as more people start drinking the Kool-Aid, then you see that they're con- they're convulsing. They're crying. It's hurting. So, I mean, then it's like, oh, my goodness, he, this man's totally lied to us and we're going to commit suicide. And it's not going to be pleasant. Yeah. Well, and he himself didn't do it. He, he himself didn't he, do it. He shot himself. Like in the movie, he shot himself. So that's very telling to me. Yes. It's very telling to me um, that he, he did not choose to go that way himself. Clearly, he's not on the side of the people. <laughs> no, he's, he wasn't a good cult leader. Well, you know, he wasn't anyway, but at least he didn't, you know, he could have joined his people in, in the final end, but he didn't. He, he went did a different not. route, an easier yeah. route. Yes. So uh, before we give our final thoughts, were there any other specific details that you wanted to talk about? Um, I thought that Caroline's, you know, her position and character was interesting. She clearly was his right hand woman, you know. Yes. I mean, she... Whatever he needed, I mean, she took care of him. And, you know, there's this one scene where um, the reporters and her brother's outside and they're talking. And uh, Jim Jones comes to the door and says, Caroline, I, I need your assistance. You know, and to me, that was real telling. It just showed the relationship. Like, whatever Jim needed, she was going to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was taking care of him, whatever he needed. So I thought that was interesting, is their relationship. Yeah, there's definitely, like more going on there as well. Like, well, there's an insinuation that she's possibly sleeping with him and he's giving her drugs because that was her whole thing is she was a drug addict before. Yes. And so she should be clean here. But they, at at one point towards the end, they're like, is she high? Like, is he giving her drugs? Yeah. So, you know, was she really clean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we don't know. Yeah, we don't know for sure. mm -mm, But definitely an unhealthy, weird relationship. Weird relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, one thing before I forget it. When you research all this, it's either 60 or 70 percent of the people at uh, Jonestown in Guyana were black women. And yeah. most of them had kids. Most mm-hmm. of them were single moms. That was just interesting to me. Um, yeah. I didn't realize there was that many you know, men to women ratio. About it was 60 to 70 percent was black women and then yeah. some men. Well, I bet that's because, again, he really reached out to the people on the fringe. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s. There was still a lot of, there was a lot of racial tension and he was very much about equality of races. He said, you come here and then women as well. So women would have also been a lesser group in Mm -hmm. the seventies, you know? Uh So it, it makes sense to me that 
both women and minorities would feel really welcome with him. And he worked hard on that. Yeah. And he's like, come live in my paradise where we don't have to worry about all these tensions and all these mm-hmm. hierarchies. Just everybody's together and we're all working side by side. That Again, it sounds wonderful. It does. And he was, to me, he was really more into that than the religious part of it. Oh, yeah. That is something I wanted to talk about. I didn't know that at first. Yeah, because he started... Like uh, the in my research, I found it started as just your typical sort of Christian revival, like you like you would see any TV preacher or whatever. Um, but I don't really think he had a strong conviction in the tr- traditional like Christian sense. I think he was definitely more committed to like socialism he than was. to any particular religion. So I think he took what he liked about Christianity and the Bible were all of the you know, come as you are, love each other, mm-hmm. live together. I think that's what he liked about it, but that's not his main commitment. It was really not to religion, which honestly I think is most cults. I think they sort of start out that way, but then the it's really a commitment to absolute control. Yes. Is what it is. Yeah, but like compared to David Koresh, because David Koresh, you know, he, he studied the Bible, knew the Bible, was really preaching Jesus, yeah. where I feel like Jim Jones was not as much. Yeah, I agree. And, I agree. you know, Jim Jones started out like it was a really good thing. And he had his picture made with, the which president was it? The Carters? Ooh, that sounds uh, There's a picture right. of him with the president and first lady, yeah. you know, because he was really making a difference to the down and out people in California. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that he didn't that he had this bad agenda because he really could have helped people make a difference. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Sometimes it's just that, that just little, that one little thing, you know, that if it was, if it was different, like he could have been a different person, yeah. there could have been a totally different outcome. Yeah, for sure. And a good outcome. Yeah. Cause he was charismatic. He's very charismatic. He was very convincing. So if he could have used that for harnessed that for good, instead of for craziness. <laughs> well, yeah. Instead of all these people dying. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, um, okay. So what are, what are, what are your final thoughts about the sacrament? Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was good. My, the main thing that I can't kind of can't get past is that he just didn't, didn't look like Jim Jones at all, but, um, no, I enjoyed the movie. thought it was done well. Um, almost, you know, followed the facts pretty well mm-hmm. with that. They had took their own little things they wanted to do, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I've, I've watched it twice now and probably in a few years I'll watch it again. <laughs> uh, how, how about you? So I think, Cults are fascinating to me just because of what they say about human nature. Um, As we were just talking about, they often use religion as an effective tool, um, but I believe they're more about power and control than they are about faith. Um, And the reason why religion and cults work so well together is because in religion, people are just more willing to blindly follow a higher power or a divine authority Without questioning, you know, it's like this, this is the way it is. And I'm willing to just follow like the will of God. Religious people are already on that track. Um, So I think that that is why religion is used and it makes a great foundation for cults. Absolutely. So, of course, in my own experience in the church, um, I've seen a resistance to thinking for yourself and asking questions. And this is just in a normal church. So like, when, when I watched The Vow, I thought there were a lot of familiar attitudes in Nexium. You know, there were a lot of things people were saying that I was like, I've heard that. I've had that thought. I've been that person just in a regular church setting. Yeah. So 
it makes me realize that it really isn't that hard to understand how regular people under certain circumstances can be convinced to join a group. I agree. Like Jonestown. Yeah. Which is why no matter what kind of organizations you affiliate with, it's important to keep your eyes open and ask questions. And if you are discouraged to think about or figure it out for yourself, then you, you just need to get out of there. Just it's walk not, away. It's not healthy. <laughs> um, so to me, that's kind of what the sacrament means on like a higher level. But as just a movie, if, if even if you don't want to think about any of that, as just a movie, if you don't know the story of Jonestown, I think it could be a really fun ride. Uh, it's a great thriller. Yes. Uh, it's got, it's well shot. It feels authentic. The acting is great. Um, Ty West is a great filmmaker. He's made a lot of really good movies that I like. Um, so especially if you're a Ty West fan and you've not seen The Sacrament, you need to check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like she said, even if you don't know anything about Jonestown, it's just, it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah. But of course, when you know the, the true you know story, then it just brings it that much further yeah. along, you know, even though it's a little different, it still is yeah, all there. It's great. So after you watch The Sacrament, what are your recommendations for other stuff <laughs> that people should check out? Okay. There are so many, so I, but I narrowed it down. Okay. Um, I'm sure most people know about um, Warren Jeff's Fundamental Latter-day Saints. Um, so there's one called, I think it's Netflix, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. Mm, oh, my goodness. One. I just want to reach through that TV and tell those ladies, what are you doing <laughs> And think for yourself, you are being so psychologically and physically abused. Come on. Um, Warren Jeffs is a horrible, terrible man. M worse than most cult leaders. I mean, he, total control, um, sexual abuse, because he's in prison now for, uh, first they said life. I know, I think it's, I don't yeah. think it's life Yeah, now, they finally got him though. <laughs> they finally got him and he's a horrible man. But, um, and there's lots of movies about, about that, but keep sweet, pray, obey. Um. Under the Banner of Heaven, you watched oh, that? I have not, but I have heard good things about it. It's it's very good. And Christopher Herendahl, I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but um, he's just the, the best actor. He's been on Hell on Wheels. He's one of the Valtteri in Twilight. Okay. Um, he is just, he's such a good actor. And then uh, Andrew Garfield plays Oh, yeah, I love him. And he also played Jim Baker, which that's a whole different cult thing. <laughs> In a movie, which was really oh, good. Oh, he did. Yes, he did. He was a very, very good Jim Baker. I had no oh my idea. Goodness. Okay, I'm going to have to check that yes. out. Yes. <laughs> so, Under the Banner of Heaven, and I won't go into all the details about it, but it's 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 a Mormon family and uh, community. And, of course, um, Andrew Garfield, his name is Jed Pyrie. He's the pastor, and, and, he's, mm -hmm. and he's a cop, and he's such a great man. But there's other family, the Lafferty's in the Mormon church are, man, they, they, they go awry. Their <laughs> beliefs and some things they do. So, awry. <laughs> awry. So, um, you know, he's, he's, the, he's the cop and he starts seeing all this and dealing with it. And just the way it unfolds, it, it's a little bit like uh, the sacrament. Like at first it's, oh, it's good. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is not, this is going to get bad. <laughs> so under the banner of heaven. And it's like um, maybe 10 episodes or something. But it's it's really good. Okay. And then um, Aquarius, Charles Manson. Oh. Okay. So it's based on the story of Charles Manson. So is this followers. a fictional show? This is fictional. Or a movie? Fiction. It's Aquarius. A fictional. It's based on the story gotcha. of Charles Manson and his followers and his girls. So some of the names, you know, they use the real names. Some they don't. 
and it's it's told from again from a policeman's perspective and um it is really good so they they were supposed to do two seasons so i just started watching it i'd Mm -hmm. seen it on netflix i'm gonna watch it so i started watching i'm like this is really good so i get to the end of season one i'm like okay they've gone through um the sharon tate murders so it's time for the labianca murders and I'm look waiting for season two, so I googled it. There's not going to be a season two. Oh no, it they, got canceled. Some, the reviews or something weren't good. I think it's an excellent movie. So I wish they would rethink that. They could just do like five episodes and bring it all together. Yeah. But like I said, based on true stories of Charles Manson, but very done very well. I enjoyed it very much. Um, you need to watch The Children of God, David Berg. This was also in California. Anything on that, the Children of God family. And then, of course, Waco. And we could have a whole uh, episode about Waco and yeah. David Koresh. I feel and, like we're going to have to find an excuse to do that sometime. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Aftermath. You and I both watched that recently. It was yeah, the, strictly facts. Both and, seasons of that show, just Waco and Waco, the Aftermath, both are very good. Very, very good. Yeah. So what... What are your recommendations? Oh, well, actually, that's one of them. Waco and Waco, the aftermath, one of my recommendations. And that's on Showtime. So if you have a Showtime subscription, you can watch it there or you can like purchase it through Prime. Uh, But yeah, it's all about David Koresh. And I feel like done very well really helps give you some insight into what it was like to be a Branch Davidian and the nuances and what went wrong. Um, You get... You get the the Branch Davidian perspective, and you get sort of the FBI like the ATF. ATF, and and so you you get to see how there were there were really good people on both sides trying to make that happen, and just Do, lack of communication. <laughs> yeah, that's the the miscommunication just really makes you sad. Um, also, as I mentioned in my my recap or my final thoughts, The Vow yeah. on uh, HBO is just fantastic. I. Didn't really know anything about Nexium. I didn't hear about it like when it happened. I didn't either. And um, and it it's very much also the first few episodes. You're like, okay, like this is a little weird, but like it seems fine. And then at some point, it's not fine. Yeah, and he he is just a master. Yeah, yeah. Keith Raniere is a piece of work. He's also in prison, so that one has a happy ending. Yeah. Um, but left a wake of destruction. Yes. Um, there's also about a million Jonestown documentaries and I've there not, are. to be honest, I have not seen one that I feel like is really great and is like the definitive Jonestown documentary. Um, there's one called Paradise Lost that came out maybe a decade ago. Um, and then I, I watched one that came out on Hulu, I think in 2018 and it's also called Paradise Lost, but I don't think they're connected either way. Like... Pretty much throw a dart and hit a Jonestown documentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're interested in it, there are a lot out there. Um, and then finally, another HBO documentary, Heaven's Gate, Cult of Cults. That is such a good one. Um, I've probably seen that one. I've, I know a lot about the Heaven's Gates thing. Yeah. So. And of course, that happened in my lifetime. So I watched that unfold as a kid. Um, and another reason why that's similar is because they all committed suicide together. They um, did. But in their case, it seems to be com- 100% voluntarily. They all wanted to do that. Yeah. So that's, that's sort Dodie, of the difference. Right? Yes. And and the thing with Heaven's Gate, I think, is really interesting is because people were allowed to come and go. They were. They had jobs. Yeah. 
A lot of them were professional people, yes. professional jobs. So that's what I didn't know about them is that they were a lot more, there, there was a lot less manipulation and control happening. Educated people. In that cult. Yeah, it was more... It was more of just an alternative lifestyle. And then, of course, when they all chose to commit suicide, it became a national but, thing. But they really believed they were going to get their, did they call it heavenly bodies or what do they call it? Yeah. So they were convinced that, that they could just lay down and do commit. Com, they had their quarters or something that was ready to go. I mean, they were convinced that when they died, they were definitely going to some comet spaceship or something. Yes. Well, and we won't get into all of it. So you'll have to just watch to find Heaven's out. Gates. But it also does have that that time, though, that like it started out one way and then an incident happens and it sort of pivots mm-hmm. towards more apocalyptic, mm-hmm. you know, situations. But, but definitely a cult. Yeah. But I thought it was really interesting. And in that documentary, there's um, there's a guy who was a follower who just he wasn't in the cult at the time. Um, but he still believes he still follows the teachings and he, yes. and they ask, they, they ask him like, do you wish you had gone with them? And he says, Oh yes. Yes. Like, I hate that. I missed it. He, you he know? says he missed it. And so his inclusion in that documentary is just fascinating yeah. to me. Very interesting. Yeah. Those people, you know, I guess they were manipulated, but they, they willingly laid down their life for a better life is what they thought. Yes. Yeah. So. And I remember I told you too, I was like, well, mom, if they caught that comment, you and I would never know. Like maybe they did. You know, <laughs> no, they did. <laughs> yeah. that's that's just a, that's just a fun little you know thing to contemplate. Yeah. But um, we did watch that one together on TV. Yeah, that's a good. When one. That happened. It's a good one. Well, mom, thank you so much for coming on and talking the sacrament and talking about true crime. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. I do love true crime. Yes. <laughs> so you guys know where to find me uh, at Light and Shadow Pod on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I have a Patreon if you want to throw me some bones. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Light and Shadow Pod. And um, next month's episode is going to be on The Last Exorcism. And I'm going to have another family member. My husband, David, is going to be joining me All for right. that. That's a, yeah, that's a rare horror movie that we both really enjoy together. So he'll be on. So watch The Last Exorcism. And until next time, stay spooky. Well-